Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined once again by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hi, guys. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Andrew. I'm waving at you two now. I can see you. We can all see each other. Vikings-Packers week, does it feel like it? Does it feel like it's a big week in the NFL? Season opener, big rival coming to town. You you guys going to go? Andrew, confession time. Until about half an hour ago, I forgot they were playing the Packers in week one. (laughs) That's that's how – like, I've, I've been paying attention to the Vikings and just, you know, like, obviously it's part of our jobs. It's more part of your job than it is my job. But just, like, the the matchup or the anticipation piece of it that, that kind of usually comes with Vikings Package Week, it was – it's com- at least up until this point has been completely – so completely gone for me that I did not even remember that they opened with the Packers in week one. That, that's where I'm at right now. So take that for whatever it's worth. And obviously, Ben and I will be two of the only people allowed in because only reporters are going to be allowed in. U.S. Bank Stadium's closed to fans for the first two games. Only six NFL teams are allowing fans in for the first game. The Vikings are not one of them. Um, It's just going to be weird. It's going to be a weird atmosphere. Ben, the players we've talked to so far have said, hey, it's not going to be a big deal. We're just going to have to adjust. I have a feeling it's going to be a lot bigger deal than – Yeah, I'm with you. I I think – not to insinuate that NFL players would ever downplay things that are actually a bigger deal than they um, are letting on more on that later when we talk about Daniel Hunter. Um, But yeah, I think it is going to be a big deal because you have seen this team build home field advantage at us bank stadium, much in the manner it did at the Metrodome with a lot of noise. And when you're talking 70 to 90 decibels, which I think is about where they can cap it. That That's not anywhere close to what you typically have at U.S. Bank Stadium, which then means offensive linemen for the opponent are not dealing with that fraction of a second where they're a little slower off the ball, which means that your pass rushers aren't quite as effective. And just the the intimidation factor, the, the, the ways that you can kind of throw an opponent off its moorings are not going to be the same. And and that'll be the same when the Vikings go on the road in places where there aren't that many fans. But yeah, I, I think we've gotten used to watching sports without fans for the time being, but we haven't seen this in the NFL yet. And the fact that you're opening the season at Arrowhead stadium, which is the loudest place in the NFL. Uh, they have signs saying as much, you're going to see that very quickly in terms of uh, I can't remember if they have – they're empty or if they have some fans, but I don't think – they're not 20, full. 20, 25% capacity. Okay, so it's still not going to be quite the same thing, and, and especially in the places where it's used to being loud, like U.S. Bank Stadium where you don't have anything. I think that's going to be the most shocking thing we see, that, that we're used to the NFL being big productions, everything's loud, the stage is massive. This is going to take something out of that, I think. It's just going to be very strange to – to take it in in person. I, I thought it was weird to be there for the practice they had, and I think it's going to be even more so, especially when it's this rival. So, yeah, I, I think it's a bigger deal than they're letting on. I think Chip, Chip Scoggins had a great piece where he talked to Ben Lieber, he talked to Jared Allen about some of the intricacies that it would affect play, how, how having no um, noise kind of, especially when you're on defense, when the home crowd is getting really raucous for Aaron Rodgers trying to hear the cadence. Um, 
we heard Ben Lieber and, and Allen, Jared Allen, tell Chip that, hey, different checks and calls that defensive linemen have to tell each other, quarterback calls at the line of scrimmage. These code words that you use might need to be changed because if you can hear them every single time, yeah. by the third quarter, you're going to know what they might mean if you're smart enough on the field. And so I think the Vikings have a ton of, of smart guys on both sides of the ball that can pick up on things. Packers probably have the same instance. So I, I wonder – how much we're going to see play affected. And I heard Mike Zimmer did say, I believe he said it's a game of adjustments and then even more so this year. And I think that's kind of lending to that where in game, not only are they going to have to adjust to things they haven't seen because there was no preseason, they'll have to adjust to different kind of calls and stuff that people can pick up on. Cause you can hear people right across the side of the line. Well, I mean, the number of times we've seen Aaron Rodgers over the years where he could see a guy out of the corner of his eye going off the field. So it's quick snap. Let's get, a free play with 12 guys on the field, you have to think that some of that stuff, the more he can pick it up, is something he's going to try to use to his advantage too. So it's going to be interesting to watch that from a – I think it's interesting from a, a competitive perspective. It's it's a, a wrinkle that we don't usually see coming to NFL games quite in that manner. But, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be very, very different on Sunday. wonder if the field mics are going to pick up some more of the uh... – interplay between teams too like we've heard in baseball just the dugouts jarring each other like you probably we're gonna probably gonna hear more more trash talk more of the kind of player on player talk than we ever did because there's just nothing to really talk over it or hear over it. well I remember there was one a couple of years ago and it got a lot of run online um, of it was the Panthers playing the Packers and Cam Newton was in the line of scrimmage and uh, Clay Matthews is calling on a wheel route and he goes, hey, you've been watching film, huh? And Matthew says, yeah. And he goes, that's cool. Watch this. And then he goes up and, and calls the play, and I think ran it in for a touchdown. But, I mean, even that got picked up enough by the field mics. So when you have less noise for those to compete with, and I, I wonder how much the NFL has gone to sound engineers and saying we do or we don't want this in terms of um, – maybe trying to conceal some of that stuff. And I'm sure if the NFL doesn't want it hurt, it's not going to get out. But if they leave things unchecked, yeah, you're, I would think you're going to hear more of that. And that could be an interesting little wrinkle to this as well. One, sorry, one other interesting thing I heard from uh, being on the Sunday Night Football Conference call last week was I think NFL Films has basically created like actual dynamic noise from every existing stadium that will play kind of as a as the background noise, like there'll be a sound engineer at every stadium kind of like scoring every game more or less with actual crowd noise from that stadium. So it's going to be kind of a, a, a unique twist to this. So it won't just sound like generic fan, fan noise. It will sound like crowd noise from the past at U.S. Bank Stadium. I, I, it's going to be such a different environment um, before the game as well, because that's, that's when so much of the fanfare is with, um, you know, the Galler horn and everything. I wonder um, one thing that we should kind of transition into is, is how the 2020 season is going to look uh, in terms of how players approach the national anthem. And I think that's one thing that's maybe going to change uh, regardless of how fans would have been in the stadiums or not. It's going to change because of what happened this summer. And so Eric Hendricks alluded today that the Vikings might have something in store now in 2017 uh, they locked arms throughout the season. Nobody knelt. Uh, Mike Zimmer talked about unity, everybody doing things the same way. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but the new development this year is what the Vikings might plan to do differently. And 
Um, I, Eric said that they're going to talk about it as a team today on Wednesday. The Social Justice Committee spent time on the off day Tuesday this week before the game discussing what they plan to do. So I don't know, Ben, Mike, do you guys have any thoughts on just kind of how they're going to use that stage potentially or, or maybe what that's worth um, right now in the NFL? I, I mean, the thing that jumps to my mind is of all of the matchups where you could see more social justice statements mm -hmm. coming up, this weekend of the NFL, this would be the one in a lot of ways that presumably would have more players that either felt it by living here. Um, you know, some of the stuff with George Floyd obviously happening during the summer. Some players were in town. In fact, some players um, met with the police chief a few days after that happened. And, and certainly players were in Wisconsin for Jacob Blake. So you you do sort of wonder if, if there are are two teams that would – uh, be particularly compelled, and I think you're going to see more of it. We've seen uh, more of it around sports in general this summer and, and even in spring, in the late spring after George Floyd. But these two teams would are representing communities that have been affected more profoundly by matters of police brutality than a lot of places in the country. It's been felt very acutely in both places, and I, I would think that um, – that discussion has probably been a big part of the week. It's just, this is the first time we're going to be on the field since these things happen. How do we as players and representatives of these communities acknowledge that, honor it, um, memorialize it in some cases? Uh, I, I, I think that probably is a discussion in these two locker rooms as much as anywhere in the league. Ben, you touched on it. I think that was a really good point. I didn't really think about the, these two particular teams and these communities. I think, the thing that jumps out at me is just what a different place we are in with respect to athletes and social justice and just using their platforms in such a, a big way than even we were you know, six months ago. Let's be honest. Um, you know, Colin Kaepernick wasn't that long ago, but it feels like forever ago in terms of where we've gotten to uh, in terms of the, the comfort level athletes have with, with using their platforms kneeling is just, it's like, it's commonplace. Now it's, it, you know, Roger Goodell has come out and said, we need to re we need to listen to these athletes. Um, you know, this is the sports in general, the NFL in particular, at least at NFL in their talk so far has been far more supportive of, of these initiatives than they ever had been in the past. So I feel like players will feel a lot more, latitude and opportunity to, to to kind of express express themselves to the, the to a more full extent yeah it's going to look a lot different um i think goodell has come out and said there's going to be signage on the end zones it's something about end racism or something like that um i don't know the exact phrasing but um we're going to see obviously other elements very different no that the, the sidelines are going to be thinned out there's not going to be any of the fanfare like cheerleaders or even owners on the field before the game. No sideline reporters. Um, it's, it's just going to take on a very different look um, from the game-wise, all the element-wise, and, of course, how the players decide to use that platform before the game. Um, we'll have more of that and then, obviously, however the Vikings decide to do it, um, certainly in our coverage moving forward. Um, guys, let's talk about the game, though, for 10 minutes before we transition to questions, um, which – beer all over the place. Um, we should start though with Daniil Hunter. If, if the Vikings do not have him, he was not out there at practice today on Wednesday of this week. He hasn't practiced since August 14th. And we will know later today what that injury report is or what his injury is, excuse me. 
and you'll be able to find that um, on all of our Twitter accounts and on Star Tribune. Yeah, we'll, we'll tweak it out later this afternoon. Yeah, we'll tweak it out. <laughs> Jeez. That was how it was described by Mike Zimmer about three weeks ago, and, and Hunter has not practiced since. So clearly more than a tweak and more is going to come out now that the Vikings are required to submit that injury information out there and say why he's not practicing. Um, but Ben, Eric Kendricks basically came out and said it's going to be tough to replace a guy like that. It does not sound like they're going to have him on Sunday. No, it does not. I mean, I, and I think the fact that he hasn't practiced and, and we haven't seen him rehabbing anywhere. Um, I, I say this not knowing for sure. Uh, I say this just drawing on nine years of experience of covering this team. So call this informed speculation to some degree, if you like. Um, but I wonder if we're going to find out that there was an off-season surgery of some type and he's still recovering from that, but it's not bad enough that he needed to go on the pup list. And the, the fact that he did not go on the pup list would tell you that they are optimistic they're going to have him back before week six. But they have not shared any details. Um, the fact that he hasn't practiced it, it sort of invites this sort of, okay, how bad is this really? I mean, they, they can kind of get annoyed or, or frustrated that people are, are trying to fill in the gaps and figure out what's going on. But when, when you don't talk about it, that's where it goes pretty naturally. I mean, people want to know what's happening and it's our jobs to try to ask questions and get to the bottom of things. So uh, I, I wonder if that's where this is going to go. And again, that's not from any level of, of sourcing that would lead me to think that is the case, but just putting two and two together from uh, having covered this team for a while, I, I wonder if that's where we're headed. In, in any case, yeah, the fact that he didn't practice after not practicing since August 14th, I wouldn't think is a great sign for his availability for Sunday. They kind of have a history of describing things as tweaks. I feel like tweak is even the kind of the watchword. When they say that, your antenna immediately goes up. It's like, this is not going to be like a few days thing. This is, this thing will linger. Like, I can't remember like exactly, I feel like there's one or two of these a year though, where you go back and you're like, okay, yeah, they said this. And then it was like eight weeks. And then finally he was back. I don't know if it was Dalvin Cook tweaked his hamstring. I can't remember what like the context is, but but this is a word they have specifically used, if I remember, to 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 describe something. When you're like, "No, that that, that doesn't that doesn't sound good." Oh, on the other hand, I will give them I will give them this. Oh, ben, what were you going to say? I would say the phrase in the past has been "he tweaked himself." He tweaked himself. Well, it's very specific. Story for a different podcast. Um, <laughs> but it sounds like uh, you know, in this particular season, though, um, you know, I don't know what the how things are going to play out exactly in the NFL, but you're seeing, I feel like we're seeing a lot of injuries in other sports, a lot of, you know, kind of return to play injuries. And these, these guys haven't had a normal off season. And if there's any off season to be cautious with something, even if we don't know exactly what it is, this, you know, theoretically is the one you don't want, you don't want something small to turn into something big, especially with someone like going back through, uh, clips and, uh, transcripts from past years. Cause I save all of these things for things like this. Uh, times we have heard Mike Zimmer use tweak. Uh, 2018, Everson Griffin in May said he had a little tweak. It was a knee injury, as it turned out to be at the time, uh, that kept him out for most of the offseason program. He said uh, that May he had a little tweak. It's not the same thing he had in the fall. Uh, and then the last time I see it, 
is from August of 2018 when Mike Zimmer started a press conference by refuting trade rumors about Anthony Barr that none of us could ever really figure out where they came from. So uh, deep state stuff there, maybe, I don't know. But uh, he said he had a tweak yesterday and we kept him out of practice for a while, but he should be out there today. And I can't remember what that injury was, but um, must have been something that wasn't all of that, all that long-term of a thing. But uh, yeah, that, that's a little bit of the history of the, of the tweak term as it relates to Mike Zimmer's usage of it. Um, what I guess I, I can add to it is I know I've talked to a couple of his trainers for um, different stories and, and I know he's been working out. He was working out through July. So if he, if he had some kind of operation or something, it was at least good enough to a point this summer where he was back in a gym kind of doing enough. Yes. We haven't seen him do anything in like the last three or four weeks outside of like slight warm-ups kind of workouts off to the side not nowhere near the kind of movement that you would look at and say like this guy's close to coming back or even close to practicing and Mike Zimmer has said um, before uh, when asked about the process of working Hunter back in he had said conditioning will play a part in it basically confirming this guy's been unable to move that much due to whatever injury he's going through. So that is your weekly edition of Hunter speculation. We'll get back to you next week after he probably does not play on Sunday against the Packers. Um, guys, if they don't have him, it's going to be a Fadi Odenabo probably stepping right back up into that role. And then Yannick Ngakwe being the guy 10 days removed from coming to Minnesota, starting at one spot. So Mike, how are you feeling about the Vikings pass rush right now, considering that it's going to be needed uh, to help some young cornerbacks out? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I think you still feel okay with kind of your whenever, when those two guys are fresh, I think you feel pretty good about those two still being able to generate necessary pressure. It's just a, it's just a blow to your depth. If you have a Fadi to kind of like come in fresh and, you know, you know, situationally and, and, and spell those guys in, you know, in, in key situations or in, you know, situations where he can make a real difference, that that's, that's a lot different than, he's a starter and then you're, you're working deeper into your depth to, to replace him. And you make a good point. I mean, this is, we've talked, you know, a, a number of times on this podcast already about the, the task ahead of these cornerbacks, these, these very young cornerbacks um, with, with the quarterbacks that they're going to face, especially earlier this season and starts right away with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Rodgers, you know, this isn't probably 2011 Rodgers that they're facing. He's maybe, not quite the same quarterback. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback that is still one of the five best quarterbacks in the league. Uh, and he will pick apart a inexperienced defense that, that doesn't uh, doesn't do the things it's supposed to be doing. So yeah, if they can't get pressure on him or, you know, if they, if, if they're making him comfortable, it, it's going to be a long day. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. All right. Well, let's get to quick Dalvin cook. Ben, you wrote about him today. You asked him today if he was going to play regardless of his contracts contract situation. What did he tell you? He said, if Coach Zimmer calls my number, I'll be out there, uh, which I think is probably a fairly safe assumption that he will call Dalvin Cook's number, barring a tweak of his own between now and Sunday. Uh, the Vikings lean pretty heavily on Dalvin Cook, obviously, and, and they're going to use him if he's, if he's out there. It's been interesting to watch this play out because this, when Mike, uh, sorry, when Rick Spielman first brought this up in February, this seemed like the the next guy in line. I mean, they have done this the last couple of years where they've started to nudge out there a little bit more around the combine. And here's the next guy we're going to sign. And, and this is going to get done sometime in the next few months. They did that with Harrison Smith. Uh, I think they did that with the Neil Hunter at some point, kind of saying these are these next guys we want to get signed. So when, when he said that about Dalvin Cook, he thought, okay, this is, this is going to get done 
kind of right in the timetable that we typically see them do these things right at the beginning of training camp. And Rick Spielman basically said as much that this typically gets done right around camp time. And then come to find out in August that they've broken off talks because they haven't gotten anywhere productive. And basically now they don't have any money. They've got like $2 million under the cap and, and the, the, don't at me. Cap is a myth, people. Uh, yes, there are things they could do, but they would have to figure some things out. And and the the trick would be clearing enough room to put the big signing bonus or cash up front in whatever fashion you want to do it into a contract for Dalvin Cook. You probably do it as a signing bonus because you can spread it out, but you, that's still going to raise his cap value this year. So you, you're probably looking at this point at having to restructure another deal if you want to try to sign him this year and that's not impossible but it's not as simple as oh they just snap their fingers and something gets done so I mean with Riley Reef, it came down to almost cutting him as, as Kirk Cousins told us last week that it was the pretty much they thought he was going to be gone so it, it's interesting to see where they are and it was interesting to hear him talk about it today because it almost seemed like didn't you Andrew listen to him talk didn't you almost get the tone of like well if if you got if you two sides can figure it out then hopefully it'll get done I mean Dalvin was almost talking about it a little bit as though he's you know kind of not part of it and you know I I hope the these two sides can get it done and and uh, do something that works for me yeah, I wanted to read Dalvin's quote when he was asked about just seeing other running backs sign contracts. We saw Joe Mixon sign a $12 million a year deal, four years, $48 million. Um, Alvin Kamara reportedly close to signing a big deal in New Orleans. So then where does Dalvin fall into that class? All those guys are 2017 picks like him. Um, Dalvin says, I've never been a guy to look at this guy or that guy. You go out there and bust your tail. You do what you've got to do, and you expect a reward to come behind that. I just hope the Vikings and my agent come to an agreement of a deal that values me until then I've just got to wait my turn. So yeah, it, it seemed like he, it, did, it certainly didn't seem like he was saying like, Hey, we're just a little hair here, hair there close. It'll yeah, be my has not been that they're ballparks apart. I mean, you know, I, I think, I, I think a lot of this has to do with structure and I, I think there's a hang up or two that they have been going back over and over and over and, nobody will move. And I, I think that's probably what's hanging up a lot of it, but um, I, I don't get the sense that it's like, they're just eons apart, but at the same time, especially where we're at in the season, it's, it's tricky to move the pieces and get them. So the first time I've done it in a while, so the pieces are in place. <laughs> that's perfect. First one in a long time. That's a good segue. Let's, let's transition to some mailbag questions. Um, we're going to do that on video once again. So if, in the future, if we end up doing this every Wednesday, you could find that on startribune.com. Let's transition to some questions right now. Right, welcome to the portion of our program where we take uh, questions from you. This is also simulcast on Strip Sports Live, a video on our Facebook page. You can watch that live on startribune.com also, or you can watch the replay. Take about 15 minutes of your questions here. We got a bunch of good ones. Um, all of you uh, obviously are more plugged into this season than I am since you know it's Vikings Packers week. Um, <laughs> Sorry for those just joining. I was, I was, that was news to me as of about two hours ago. Not really news to me. It's just something I maybe had forgotten. Mike, they're all just joining. Everybody <laughs> but us is just joining. We're recording this podcast later. The rest of it later. That's right. That's right. <laughs> this, is, this just keeps. This just keeps getting better. I'll, I'll Check just, the full episode for Mike Rand's punchline. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna tweet through it. I'm just gonna tweet through it. Um, 
No, let's let's start with some questions. Um, let's see. Danny wants to know. Let's start with a Danny Danny Carlson question. Shot plays down the field off of play action were critical to being an explosive offense last year. With Stefan Diggs gone, who fills that void? And particularly great, week one against the Packers. That's a great question because Ben, we saw Diggs become what? He was statistically the top deep threat last year in the NFL. Yeah, he caught more passes of 40 yards or more than any Vikings receiver since Randy Moss's rookie year. I think that Randy sounds Moss, good. Yeah, it's pretty good. I think Randy Moss had one other year where they were maybe tied with nine apiece, I think 2,000 for Moss. But if you're in a sentence with Randy Moss's early years in Minnesota, that's pretty good. So, But you know, before last season, Adam Thielen was the more established deep threat than Stefan Diggs was. So I wonder if we're going to see him get back to that role a little bit. I mean, especially if that hamstring is healed up. Um, I, I think he certainly will factor in there. I mean, Justin Jefferson, it's going to be a question of how quickly he comes along because I think they feel like he can turn into that type of guy as well. It's just, you have to figure out where he fits into the, into the mix. And, you know, I had a conversation with cousins, last week for a story that's running later this week on in the Star Tribune. And, and he talked about, you know, he's, we've heard him talk a lot about playing off schedule. And he said, in some ways, it's easier to get on the same page. And sometimes you draw up shot plays. They're not always things that happen as a result of a broken play. But in, in the ones that are, he said, it's almost easier to figure that stuff out with a guy in the short term when you haven't had a ton of practice time with him than it is to do the on schedule stuff, because that's all timing and having the right depth and the right angles on routes, deep you know, bro- or broken plays at least are kind of just seeing what a guy can do naturally in his backyard football. So to the extent that, that any of the downfield stuff comes off of broken plays, I mean, you know, certainly we don't expect Kirk Cousins to turn into Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes anytime soon. But to the extent that that happens, I think the fact that they have a new receiving core is not as big of a deterrent at least in, in how Kirk Cousins is seeing it, as perhaps we might think. Yeah, that's a good point about Adam, because he really was kind of a big deep threat. And we've talked about how the play got hurt on last year was a big 25-yard touchdown yeah. play-action shot. Similar how they use digs. They like to use those guys interchangeably. But when Adam went like down... concept with a backside post. Yeah, and when Adam went down, though, they kind of really just had to lean on digs because they had, they had nobody else. That, yeah. that wide receiver core was so thin. Um, so, yeah, I would expect Adam to be that guy. And then underneath, maybe we're going to see a lot more Ola B.C. Johnson and Justin Jefferson. I will say during the scrimmage, we watched them play. Um, I think Ola B.C. was catching a lot of slant passes. And so I imagine a lot of quick hitters are going to go his way. A lot of, you know, the way the question was phrased, it's a reminder of how much their deep passes are pretty much set up by play action in the run. So it's kind of more, it's maybe less incumbent on what receiver is going to replace Diggs in that role as it is. You know, are they going to be as effective running the ball and setting up those shots, you know, with, with maybe fewer, fewer weapons out there? I will say, too, Ben and I saw Irv Smith running down the field 20 yards, you know, on a post or something quite often. So I wonder if they're going to want him to, to fill a role like that as well. I just drafted him for a fantasy team. Late, <laughs> late round. Let's see. Let's go, Irv. All right. We got uh, John's asking, who are the backups at safety? Great question. <laughs> yeah. <We laughs> have great question. Are, they haven't signed anybody yet, have they? They still the depth, the depth chart is Harrison Smith at one spot, Anthony Harris the other spot, and then it's just blank spaces. So it could be me. It could be I got, a, I got a theory. I got a theory that they wanted to keep Dan Chisena so badly, 
and they wanted to keep 11 defensive linemen so badly um, that they're basically using the new practice squad rules, which allow you to elevate backup safeties as a way to stash a guy that they were already going to play anyway and kind of have as the 50th guy on the roster. And like, whether it's Nate Metters, yeah, Josh Mattel, whomever they think is the backup, they realize this guy's not going to get claimed, wave him, put him on the practice squad. Uh, the guys we do think are going to get claimed, maybe some of these defensive line prospects who are coached by Andre Patterson, a well-known guy, maybe somebody's just going to want to claim them because of where they're coming from. Because they stacked 11 defensive linemen. They're not going to need that in a regular season. It just speaks to the depth that they're trying to develop. And so I think that you're going to see, my guess is, a safety elevated at some point before Saturday to the active roster. And then the whole rule is, is that you don't need to sign them you elevate them for the game. You can then have 55 available essentially for the game, 48 active. Um, and then that guy reverts back to the practice squad after the game. So again, this is just a, a rule change. And I wonder if it's just some kind of weird thing that they're going to use to just basically sneak a backup safety on that they've already got on the practice. Still three, there's still only three safeties though. It's still not very many. Yeah, well, true, true. It's not, it's not. So I don't know. Maybe they elevate both of those guys. Maybe they've got somebody in mind that they're trying to sign. They've worked out Jaleel Adai, a veteran safety. They've worked out George Iloka, a guy that we know well. So they've got options. But at this point, if you're going to bring somebody in off the street and they need to pass the protocols to get in, I don't think they'd be available for the game if you sign them today. So I, I think you need to go with the guys you have right now, and those are probably going to be the practice squad guys. Are there corners safety friendly any of them slide over in a pinch Ben what do you think well I mean ordinarily you'd say yes but there I mean it's such a young group that when you're already trying to figure out how everybody fits in at their normal positions it's a little hard to see that working quite the same way as I mean you know Mike Zimmer got asked that question this week said yeah we've done it in the past with Terrence Newman I mean (laughs) Terrence Newman is a little more equity in the league than these corners do so um yeah it's a little hard to see that working quite the same way as it perhaps did in that example yeah i know they liked harrison hand as a guy i think jamal stevenson the scouting director said he's got traits for safety but we haven't seen them work him much there and that would be a big spot to just be like all right kid why don't you have a crack at it i would imagine nate metter is a guy who was at least a second year guy at least has been here a little bit i would think he's going to end up being that guy I would tend to agree. Name matters would be the first name I'd keep an eye on. I think that's a pretty good theory. All right, let's go to the next question. Uh, I got one from Eric here. How do you think the offensive line will hold up with two shaky guards? It's like my brother count. <laughs> yeah, was, was that your question, Mike? <laughs> from Eric. Yeah, right. Um, that That's the big question, right? I think that's the one that everybody's got on their mind, and when you – see them go up against the Green Bay Packers, you envision what happened last time, and it didn't go very well. They didn't have Dalvin Cook. They're going to have him now, and they hope that's the big difference in what kind of led um, to that week two game last year, but um, at least being somewhat close. So I think this one, this time around, Ben, they're going to need that running game. They're going to need Green Bay to be on its heels because if they find themselves in a situation where I think Dakota Dozier, the left guard, talked about this uh, this week. He had said, we can't get ourselves in obvious passing situations because that's going to be bad, bad news for Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw it both with Zadarius and Preston Smith and with Kenny Clark. I mean, they, they had a lot of trouble with Kenny Clark in both of those games last year. And 
Uh, the, the Packers had a lot of success, especially in the second one with Zedaria Smith moving him around and kind of leveraging those interior matchups and saying that you don't have anybody that can deal with him inside. And so we're going to stick him either, you know, over the A gap, over the B gap and, and potentially run him up the middle as opposed to coming off the edge as much. So I would expect we'll see some of those things from the Packers again. I, I, it's going to be interesting because, a lot, I mean, really for – uh, a week one matchup, you're talking about unscouted looks and not knowing what you're getting. That doesn't apply here as much because these are two teams that, that they see each other twice a year. They run very similar offenses. They have a lot of coaches that perhaps have coached people on the other roster, whether it's Matt LaFleur and Kirk Cousins or Jerry Gray, the Packers' new defensive backs coach, who was in Minnesota the last six years. There's a, there's a lot of familiarity here. So I think, and the fact that they played each other in week 16 last year, it's not as big of a, an unknown as we've seen in some of these scenarios and we'll see around the league. I, I think you're going to probably see the Packers try a lot of the things that they did last December that worked for them and, and kind of dare the Vikings to stop them. So how, how concerned should we be or how will that hold up? Um, the, you're going to get an answer to that, I think, pretty quick because this is a tough test. And the, the familiarity part of it's so tough for some of these teams because, like, with the offensive line that's never worked in a game together um, – well, has, I should say, last year, but they haven't started throughout a season together in stretches. They just kind of – wherever Dakota kind of filled in, that's when they played together. Um, but with this group, what they needed to work on was going out and playing defenses they're not used to, going against stunts and twists they're not used to, understanding code words and communications from other teams that they're not used to, and then seeing how good they are at reacting to that. We haven't seen that. We, and last time we saw it, frankly, against San Francisco, it wasn't a very good look. And, and San Francisco's a great defense. So are, so are the Packers. So that's what you have to contend with in this division. You need to raise to that level if you're the offensive line. And frankly, that's one of the biggest question marks is, is Garrett Bradbury that much better? Is Dakota Dozier, as he says, that much better physically to step into this role? Um, and is Pat Elfline going to be at a serviceable level for them? These are all, especially inside when it's Kenny Clark, Ben, you mentioned Zadarius Smith moving inside. Um, like they like to do with him, it's going to be a tough task. So, Mike, how are you feeling? Well, and not getting into an obvious passing situation is an admirable goal, but it, it's you're going to you're going there's going to be times where you're just you're in third and seven. It, it, it that's kind of life in the NFL. You don't try to get to third and seven, but someone drops a pass, a run isn't as successful as you want. You're, you're going to have probably like four or five of those a game, at least probably more than that, where you're in like a third down and long. And just the fact that this team isn't built for those situations is still my biggest concern on offense. Just you don't have a quarterback who's very good at improvising and you don't have a line that can give you the kind of time you need, especially up the middle uh, on those long downs and distances. And when, when you, when everybody knows you're going to throw, can you throw? Um, I still think the answer is no. Yeah, we're going to find out. Only four days away somehow. Can't, can't believe it. But. We've got one more good question, then we'll get out, then we'll get out of here. Um, we, we already touched on the home field stuff early in the podcast, so let's, let's not do that one. Oh, this, Peter's this, pretty good. Yeah, that was the one I was going to find, the one from Peter. How many weeks will it realistically take until we know if the young defensive backs are going to be good? He, and he wonders four weeks, six weeks. What, what do you guys think? Well, I mean, in terms of the short-term <laughs> – indicators you're going to have them you're going to have Aaron Rodgers you know such that he I mean the arguments about whether he's diminished from what he's been in the past I think are valid but he's still going to be good enough to burn you if he sees mismatches 
Then you go down to Indianapolis week two, Phillip Rivers, a, a guy they saw last December that didn't look great, but that's a better team than they've seen. And then the Titans come in week three. It was a team that was in the AFC title game. And then your next two after that are Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. So, I mean, this we've talked about this stat that's gone around about the Vikings facing the toughest slate of quarterbacks in the league. By week six, you'll have an idea of whether this is a big problem. I think it may take a full season to say, yeah, all of these guys are really good and they can all play in, week, in year one. And when teams start to get more tape on them and learn how to match up against them, it, it's going to take a little bit of time to, to borrow the old baseball phrase to adjust to the league, adjusting to you. But if it's a big issue, I think you're going to know pretty, pretty shortly. Yeah, those are great points because – yeah, it's Russell Wilson, too, eventually at some yeah. point, right, right yeah, out of the gate. Um, the only break that the Vikings secondary has caught this summer, because it's been stripped away of the, the preseason games, valuable practice time these young guys could have gotten, is Mitchell Trubisky being named the starting quarterback. Of the <laughs> but they don't play until November. There's a lot of time for that to change, too. That's true. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> could be Nick Foles by then, who put up 38. Possible. <laughs> Never know. Old buddy Nick Foles. Uh, yeah, that's the only weakness I see on the on the chain. And then, yeah, if, if it's not even him, if it's Nick Foles, not to say Nick Foles is some barn burner, but we saw him win a Super Bowl at U.S. Bank Stadium. So. We saw him burn a barn a couple of times in a in a three week stretch a couple of years ago. Yeah. So anyway, we'll we'll see. We'll find out. I, I think Ben's right. Note. <laughs> I, I think Ben's right, though. I think we're going to find out very quickly. I think Vikings fans will know uh, very quickly uh, if this if this secondary if the if these young cornerbacks just instinctually if the moment's not too big for them. Good stuff, guys. Appreciate you all joining us on the live portion of our program. Anybody who stuck around to the end as I uh, forgot what was live and what was not live at the beginning of this uh, this segment. Anybody who's listened to the whole podcast, appreciate that. Mike, that worked out better for you than it did for Burp Fly 11. So, <laughs> oh, we're live. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's better better to think you were live than, and, and not than, than the other way around. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening and watching. Maybe you should get off the podcast.